I've never accepted the excuse that excellence and fine-grained detail slows you down. You have to look at the uh, entire cycle time or duration of something, uh, of a task or a set of tasks that you're doing and the outcome that you generate out of that. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Vinay Nadik, who is the Chief Strategy Officer over at Simplify Healthcare, a cloud-based SaaS company whose products solve complex problems at health insurers in North America. Benet has spent over 20 years both serving as a leader inside healthcare insurance companies as well as a partner at healthcare consulting companies driving innovation, cost optimization, and growth. And he gets the most satisfaction, though, from the team members that he served and supported as they've grown to become leaders themselves and achieved and surpassed their goals. He's deeply invested in making the people around him successful and watches their career growth with great pleasure. And Vinay, by the way, immigrated from India to the U.S. on January 1st, 1990, and has authored a book called Leadership is for Everyone, 20 Leadership Secrets for Exceptional Outcomes and Fulfillment at Work. Love that title. Vinay, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Hey, thank you, Ben. Uh, that's a great energy shot for me this Friday morning. So that's awesome. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Look forward to our chat. Man, me too. And y'all, Vinay has the coolest beard I think I have seen in a very long time. Now, I have tried to grow beards myself in the past just a little bit. And before it would get growing very much, I was like, I always chickened out because I'm like, my beard is not going to look right. And, I, and, I, and I've seen some of the pictures of Vinay without the beard. And now you have the beard of all beards. What was the moment where you're like, hey, I've got all this time without a beard. Now I need to break this thing out. You know, uh, I mean, as you can see, I do have to compensate for the lack of hair on top of my head. So, uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, I can do that. You know what? I want to feel the wind in my hair again. And my only option was to grow a beard. So, here it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so, for those of you who can't see us on video or listening, He's got a beard that's super cool. It's it's like white with some black in it, and it's is is very impressive. Now, what we uh, bef before we joined here, Vinay was saying it was this year, right? More or this less uh, when you started. Think yeah. back to your years as an executive before the beard, and now your now your year in the beard. What have you noticed? The difference. You know, I think I've only gotten a lot of uh, positive feedback, to be fair. You know, the, the only negative reinforcement that is happening is, is at, at home. <laughs> I don't think my wife's a big fan. But apart from that, I think, you know, people think that uh, suddenly I've become wiser, which is always <laughs> an advantage in my uh, my field of work. So, <laughs> Okay, yes. Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you. In the business world, I feel like a lot of times people go without the beard, a lot, a lot like like you don't see it at all as often. But you're noticing that people do respond to you. Maybe they look to you as a as a wiser person because you can break out of 
I have seen that. You know, I mean, look, man, that's the reaction I get anyway. <laughs> not trying to be modest here, but of course, uh, of course. But I, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been more uh, more that route than uh, any anything negative at all. So. Yeah. All right. Cool. Just I thought it would be helpful for people to hear about life with a beard as an executive yeah. versus before yeah. beard. Yeah. So very, very good insights there. You never know what kind of insights you're going to glean on and get on lead the team, but they're always helpful in that nature. So, so let's, let's talk about, now you, you have this book, which, which came out several years ago that the title is so darn compelling. And one of the things that you're known for saying is that excellence always starts from the small things. What yeah. do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I, uh, I have a, uh, my undergraduate uh, degrees in mechanical engineering decades ago. And when we uh, started those days, we actually had to go into smithies, foundries, carpentry labs, machine tool labs, etc., uh, and work with our hands. So the very first semester of my engineering schooling, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a batch of us. We were all pretty excited. We go in, you know, I remember it was kind of a wintry afternoon uh, where I went to school. The fitting lab is where we went in and it was uh, it was kind of dark. And, and the instructor, foreman, we used to call them, he gave us two pieces of square uh, metal, square pieces of metal. Uh, there was a kind of a design there where we had to cut uh, you know, in both pieces so that they fit well together, right? That was fitting. And we thought, eh, you know, easy enough. Measured it, hacksawed the pieces out, filed it a little bit and said, okay, yeah, these fit. So we all had to go over to him and say, hey, you know, I think we're done, it's fitting. And he would go, hey, you know, see there's some sunlight streaming through the window. Just hold up your fitting piece that you just did. And let's see how it looks. So you hold it up and you can feel, you know, see the sunlight streaming through. He goes, yeah, just, you know, just make sure, go back and file it a little more. We just don't need to see any of that sunlight streaming through these. Mm. Understanding that a first semester engineering student is never going to get that tolerance where you're going to block the sunlight by doing hand filing. He made us hand file that piece for four weeks. He did not let us move off of that to the next uh, project because he said, hey, you know, this is what you have to learn. This is where you are now. If you want to be excellent in your careers, in your jobs, henceforth, understand that excellence is in small things. And unless you get this, you're not going to move to the next one. I mean, none of us ever did. But the lesson has sat with me, you know, now for close to 35 years. So that's where my belief was born that, you know, like I talk to my team members, especially early career folks about, look, if all you do today is build an Excel table or three slides in PowerPoint or take two calls with customers, make sure you do it the best way possible because that's where your career is being built off of and not on aspiring to be things, et cetera, et cetera. Those things will come along, but excellence starts in the small things. I mean, I'm a big fan of Tom Peters, Ben, and he says, excellence is the next five minutes. Uh, that's it. You know, it's not about anything more than that. And it's definitely not anything less than that. Man, what a compelling story. And what a frustrating moment. I'm, I'm like, I'm filing this thing. The professor says I should be able to get these things to fit together with no sunlight. 
And get, did anyone ever get it? I mean, there, it's virtually impossible, right? To it, get, it is, yeah. To get metal yeah. fittings. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is the point. Uh, I think what he wanted to show us was, look, uh, you're now entering into a phase where uh, it's not that easy. You can't skate through. I, we understand you got great grades and got you know into this school. Uh, but for you to excel from this point on, I am going to give you an impossible task and let's see how you do. No one did it, but we got the lesson, I think. Yeah, that's the lesson, right? The excellence to be able to, to go the extra mile to take care of the details. And I think in engineering, it's an especially important message. But I can see people outside of engineering being like, really? I mean, do we root? Because we're, we're in a fast moving world. We're not trying to fit things together necessarily in that way. Um, what do you, why do you communicate that to your team in a world where, I mean, now you're working more like a software technology-based organization. What are, uh, when does that lesson come up in the technology world? Or what do you think maybe is missing in technology leadership-wise where this could be a helpful lesson? Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, at Simplify Healthcare, where I'm the chief strategy officer, we, you know, as as you mentioned, uh, we sell software products to the health insurer marketplace. So the health insurance mm -hmm. uh, companies yeah. are our primary customers, and we sell uh, products that solve complex problems in the way an insurer might develop their products, plans, benefit designs, etc. Our software platform actually. Uh, enables that, automates that, and transforms it digitally. We also uh, automate and, and transform a, a health insurer's provider data mm. management, mm -hmm. how they manage doctors, hospitals, uh, facilities, etc. So these are major uh, you know, challenges that a health insurer faces, as well as major opportunity areas where they could really transform digitally to enable their growth, as well as obviously serving their members, uh, us, you know, the consumers and the patients uh, that need healthcare. Uh, and so why I'm setting that context is that we live in a, yes, we live in a fast-paced, high transaction volume technology world. And we are, a, you know, we, we are purveyors of that. We sell technology. However, as you can imagine, I mean, we are aiming it at the healthcare ecosystem uh, we can't really afford to be anything less than excellent. We can't afford to be anything less than innovative. Because yeah. you're in healthcare. So, that's right. That's right. And, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. excellence. Okay. You know, there's, there's not a lot of margin for error. There are no plan Bs here. And so what you do, you have to make sure that you get it right. And you get it right the first time. And so the in my uh, mind, the only way to get there is is to be excellent, is, is to find that uh, mm. you know that target where every little thing you're doing is excellent. So the sum of all of those things becomes what you were aiming for uh, at the beginning, because there is no uh, achieving of uh, you know whatever we want without doing the small steps. And if we do the small steps in an excellent way then we are going to get an excellent outcome. So, you know, what that means in, in practice might be, as, as I said, you know, I have teams that do marketing, I have teams that do strategy, uh, pre-sales engineering, et cetera. And if we say, look, what we really need is a deal here. So let's get to that first. And it doesn't matter how we do the pitch. It doesn't matter, you know, like I show up a little half mm -hmm. prepared for a customer meeting. I just want to get the deal. That's my goal. Uh, you're not going to get the deal. 
if you don't uh, pay attention to the pitch deck, if you don't show up the right way, if you don't understand the customer's needs and customize the pitch, which takes just that extra amount of time, which is the excellence part uh, that I talk about. So I think in any kind of field, uh, it does uh, matter and it does work. Yeah, what what a leadership philosophy. And it's like, hey, encouraging your people to just maybe go a little bit slower and pay a little more attention to get the details right. And I like, sometimes people might say, Vinay, you're a perfectionist and you're slowing our team down. And I can see that being one perspective. But then when you come back with your response you just gave, which is, hey, it's really cumulative. It's yes, you doing that one little thing may not make a difference. But if you do that thing right, each and every sales pitch, if we prepare with intention each and every time, it has a cumulative effect like interest uh, from a banking standpoint that has a compounding effect and it's advantageous for us. And I, I think it, I think it's a nice why behind it because it doesn't always feel good to have to slow down and get in the details and check that code, check that deck one more time. But yeah, I can see it having a positive effect over the long haul. Yeah, and and you know, uh, I've been challenged throughout my career on this, Ben. I think you bring up a great challenge, right? You know, hey, we need speed. Uh, we can't afford to slow down. Time I, is money. Yeah. They say time is money, right? That's <laughs> right. And I have never accepted that being fine-grained in detail slows you down. I think hmm. you have to look at the... Uh, entire cycle time or duration of something uh, of a task or a set of tasks that you're doing and the outcome that you generate out of that. Mm. If that's the goal, then you're not, you're not slow. You're actually mm. faster than somebody who is not focused on details, who uh, does not get the outcome that we are looking for in the time that they think they're getting it. We do get to the outcomes based on excellence and if you look at the total time, it's probably, in most cases, lesser than stumbling your way through something and not worrying about the details. So I've never accepted the excuse that you know excellence and fine-grained detail slows you down. I've, none of my teams are able to provide that reason to me, and I've never accepted that. So, uh, so I think uh, you know it's a philosophy, right? It's uh, how do you find fulfillment at work, and that's the other part of uh, this whole equation, especially as I see folks kind of always aspiring to be something rather than to do something. I mean, that that's another lever that I always pull is, hey, mm. yes, you know, do you want to be a CEO or a, you know, senior VP of something or a VP of something, etc. That's great. That's kind of like a career roadmap goal, etc. But what do you want to do? You know, how do you want to do it? Uh, can you become an expert in the craft that, that you have? If I if I talk to somebody early career, Ben, who wants my advice, I would say, look, what is your craft? Don't tell me you want to be a this of that at this company. What is your craft? What do you what do you do? What do you want to do? Let's figure that out. Let's practice, build your core, let's become an expert in that. Everything else will follow. But you have to build your craft. And that's a bitter pill because it takes time, it takes effort. You have to go deep, you have to specialize. But the things that you want to be follow what you do. And so that's a firm philosophy. I have nice. So your craft is primary to what role or position or title you have and having that as a foundation. I like that. Now, 
someone that has a bold book called uh, Leadership is for Everyone begs the question, Benet, is leadership really for everyone? Ben, I mean, you know, I think uh, it depends on how you define leadership, right? Okay. I, you know, I think there is, uh, you know, there, there is this misconception. I think that again, it's it's a, it's an aspiring to be a leader rather than practice leadership or lead uh, people. Yes, somebody needs to be led for you to be a leader. However, uh, the first person who can be led is you. So lead you first. And then you can lead massive numbers of people next. Uh, you, you can't aspire, I think, to just say, oh, what I want to do is uh, I want to be a leader of 300 people or 20 people or 18 people, whatever it may be. That's not the goal. That's not the angle. So when I talk about leadership is for everyone, I'm actually talking about, hey, build your core and lead yourself first. Then followership will follow. Mm. So that's why I say leadership is for everyone. And, and the other angle there is, especially as uh, you know, folks start to work in larger enterprises, I cannot tell you how much time is spent looking at the org charts of those companies by employees, mm -hmm. right? I would say stop looking at the org, org chart, uh, other than to find out their phone number maybe, uh, or email to figure out you know, how to contact them. But don't look at the levels, don't look at the hierarchy, don't look at the titles and feel like you don't have that role or title. Mm -hmm. Leadership is not baked into the role or title. It is baked into the behaviors that you practice every day. And that's why I say leadership is for everyone. Sounds like a good book. <laughs> I, I like so. that. I like that. Um, the fact that, yes, leadership is for everyone because every single person on this planet should learn to lead themselves first. And how far you go out in leading others, I guess, depends on your effectiveness and your relationship building and all that. But yes, when you say it's for yourself first, it makes total sense. And I love the idea of throw out the org chart. You need org charts for a moment to kind of understand the lay of the land, but it creates so much problems. Number one, I think it silos the company. It keeps these people from talking to these people because they're in a different part of the company. It also probably, from my experience in working in corporate, it prevents people from talking to each other from a silo, but also up the chain. We're like, hey, that, that executive's three people up or two people up for me in the company. I can't talk to them. And that then that person doesn't get information and it just really causes so many problems. So if you're going to have an org chart, which most organizations do, but I think you make some good points there of, hey, you got to be aware of the limitations of the org chart and the problems it's causing. And you got to address this with your organization. Like, what is your org chart for and what is it not for? And uh, I never thought about that until right now. You know, what work hardly ever happens vertically. Work always happens horizontally. And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is, the work of a firm is whatever it is that we accept as, you know, serve this customer, solve this problem, make money, uh, you know, be a community builder, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it is that we define as work is being deployed and delivered horizontally from left to right or, mm. or up, you know, right to left, whatever it is. It is never about, okay, going up the chain in my own company and managing up or managing down. It's always managing through to get to the outcome that, mm. that you need. Org charts don't help with that. That's why I've always talked about, hey, stop, quit looking at the org chart, quit looking at the next title, next role, 
focus on the impact you create with the work you do uh, and focus on the doing, the being will follow. Yeah, I love it. Do first, be later when it comes to that piece. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why do you think it's important? Knowing that you just gave me probably 10 possibilities in the last one, but starting to prioritize this. What do you mean? What What's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why is it important? Yeah. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll take a two-pronged approach. One is every employee, I think, one of the things that I, I espouse myself and I coach others to do as well is uh, what I would say as own the outcome, not the task. So, you know, every day, uh, depending upon where we sit in some kind of hierarchy or we self-assign tasks to ourselves, somebody asks us to say, hey, can you get X from that particular customer or from that particular stakeholder inside the enterprise. Uh, and so our reaction cannot be, oh, I'll send, a, send them an email or, you know, I'll just call or they didn't pick up. I'll just leave a message. And next day when I'm asked, okay, hey, where is that thing? The answer cannot be, I sent an email, which means I checked off the task, but the outcome is still open. The outcome that my customer wanted was, I need that thing. Can you give it to me? I don't care how you do it, but can you please bring that thing to me? So I think if all of us employees working in firms espouse that and look at, okay, I need to own the outcome. And, you know, this is again, multi-layered, right? It starts to build on itself. If you start doing it in the small things, major projects then become outcomes oriented, major objectives of an organization become outcomes oriented. And that's where, uh, you know, all of our focus ought to be. So I think if there is one thing I would say, that's what I would say to all employees. Hmm. And is there a time in your organization when you're like, man, because we own the outcome, that made all the difference? Absolutely. You know, I, I can share something that is, uh, that is you know, that we espouse even at Simplify Healthcare. I mean, we have a visionary CEO and leader, my boss, uh, obviously, Muhammad um, Vaid. And and the way he has crafted the executive leadership team and the way we are incented and, and you know, we collaborate together is, is, I think, worthy of a Harvard Business Review case study, right? Eventually, I'm hoping that he gets written up there because the, the framework and the techniques that we are using to collaborate, keep politics completely out and focus only on the outcomes mm. is nothing short of extraordinary. And I'm, you know... Mm privileged to be a part of it. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, as I said, you know, I think we are sharply focused on outcomes. We know exactly what we are doing here, where we are footing. And we are also, uh, you know, we have a program inside the company called Level Up, where we are leveling up all of our team members to have that same outcomes-oriented goals and and focus on that and leave everything else behind. So it's been, you know, a fascinating journey for me here to see this. And as I said, I hope HBR picks it up uh, once our journey is complete here. Well, let me know because we've had their director of Harvard Business Review case studies on our show. So awesome. You would, yeah. would probably be uh, fantastic uh, yeah. on that, in that conversation. That is a really 
I think refreshing approach approach to leadership for our listeners because it's so darn focused. Outcome, outcome, outcome. And I want to make the distinction too. A lot of times we'll say, well, Ben, it's just they're focused on getting results. I think there's a difference in that vernacular that's important. And I think outcome uh, for some, I'm trying, I can't put my finger on it right now. Why saying outcome feels more powerful and productive than saying a result? Because I feel like a result not could be as often say, well, business results, the bottom line, it's a number. But when you say outcome, an outcome can be a lot of different things. And it allows you to go the sort of forces you to go the extra mile to identify what that outcome is and really crystallize it for the people, you know, and uh, making sure that gets that done. What what comes up for you when I say business results versus outcomes? Yeah, that's very insightful, Ben. You know, uh, coming from an engineering mindset, the way I would look at it would be let's define these two, let's attribute these two. And mm-hmm. if you look at results and that phrase, uh, achieve results, uh, I would attribute it as, yeah, bottom line, numbers. Uh, you know, your mind immediately goes to a spreadsheet and kind of that's what it is. Uh, and that's a part of part of the game we play, of course. Outcomes to me, you know, an outcome has many more attributes, right? Yes, business results are one of those. Uh, you know, we do need to be measured, tracked. So there is that part. But there's also experience. You know, how did we get there? What was the process we took to get there is baked into the phrase outcome in my mind. Employee experience, customer experience, community experience. Uh, you know, how, how have we shown up and how did we behave to get to that? That's a true outcome. And that's not mm-hmm. just a PNL number uh, or a top line number. So to me, that's how I distinguish between you know going and getting an outcome versus achieving business results. Mm, love that an important distinction for people to be thinking about when they're crafting their cultural messages, declaring their visions as leaders for the company, using outcome versus results. Now, let's dive just a minute a little more on the personal side. So January first, nineteen ninety, came to the US. What's your journey been like? So growing up in India, now being an executive in a US-based organization. I mean, what that I mean, what's that experience been like for people? Oh, it it's been a fascinating experience yeah. for me. Ben, I I uh count myself as uh you know very privileged and I'm filled with gratitude, right? I, you know, I'm a as immigrants are uh in, in a lot of cases. I'm I'm all in on the United States. I'm a I'm bullish on America. <laughs> I love it. I love the country. You know, my children were born here. They're native Texans and proud to be native Texans. <laughs> you know, my, my journey started with uh me uh you know uh enrolling in a in an MBA program here uh at the Texas, Texas A&M, A&M, right? Uh, university and and oh. and so you know, it was uh, it was challenging, right? I mean, I came with uh, a, a little bit of a, a fuel in the tank, as as it were, financial fuel, <laughs> and uh, it quickly ran out. And uh, I, uh, uh, you know, as a as a foreign student, you know, obviously I had to pay out of state fees, etc. And uh, literally, I was down to my last seven dollars. And you know, walking from my lab uh, without any kind of real idea about how what the next day might be. And my uh, my dean of the business school, you know, he had this uh, beautiful yellow pickup truck. And, you know, I, I saw a flash of yellow and he kind of pulled in front of me and stopped me. And he go, he used to call me Nadish, 
uh, and he goes, Danish, are you available for a graduate assistantship? I'm like, available? Man, I'm hungry for that. Let's, let's <laughs> go. Yeah, can and, I start uh, now? And, and yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, the, the serendipity was amazing. And, and, you know, I got on that train and, and it was awesome. So, you know, many, many anecdotes, peaks and valleys like that. But all in all, I mean, I'm filled with gratitude. It's been a great journey. What do you think growing up in India, what what do you think the advantages have been for how you live your life in business? I mean, what and in what perspective has that given you that maybe people in the US miss out on? I, I don't know if it's as much missing out. You know, I, I would say just my own experience and journey is what I can share, but uh, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily looking at it from is that a gap here versus not. I think every system has strengths and weaknesses. Uh, for me, it was you know I got a great uh, engineering education. It was very rigorous, and I I'm not an engineer today, but uh, I still credit the schooling and the education I got uh, with the way I think about problems. I have a systems way of thinking about problems that never left me. And I totally credit my engineering education. Now, I have to tell you a funny story here. My son is also a mechanical engineer, but he makes sure to tell me that he's a true mechanical engineer. He actually designs medical devices for a living. <laughs> and uh, he's like, hey, dad, don't say you're a mechanical engineer. You studied it, but you're not one. I am one. So we've got <laughs> going on. But I would say, uh, Ben, that, that that was real key, as well as, you know, the the friends and family uh, support and kind of uh, uh, that whole community feeling uh, that you get just naturally in India because that's the, the culture. That was a great strength uh, mm. as well. It uh, prepared me to always operate from a platform of abundance, even though there was not a whole lot of abundance going on initially. But mm -hmm. uh, instead of looking at it from a platform of scarcity, which would have been tough for me to win the battles that I have. Once the time you had unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? You know, it, it, I'll, uh, I'll uh, tell a story that is, that is maybe uh, a failure, I thought, uh, that that somehow got converted into a success. Uh, that may be a better story. So uh, in my one of my first jobs as a mechanical engineer uh, back in India, I sold, um, I was a technical sales, uh, sales guy selling industrial cables and switchgear and things like that to factories, to, to large industry mm -hmm. uh, industries, right? And I was uh, the first person of my company in the city I was operating in. So I was like, you know, the, the lone ranger that sent out there to kind of start building that market. And so it was, you know, it was great, challenging work. Uh, and I didn't know any better. So it was, it was all great. And, you know, I created a, a good book of business. And so my boss, who was the managing director, uh, so he, he was uh, the CEO of, of that division. He said, okay, we need to do a, an annual uh, conference, more of a, a party, really. Uh, we will have a couple of uh, workshops, but it's really a customer appreciation day. It's also, you know, like a customer and prospect appreciation day. And you have to do it. So the logistics part of it was not challenging. I mean, you know, we got all that stuff figured out. My absolute uh, nervousness was, will anyone show up? Because it, it, it was it was all new and and I was new I, I was a year into it 
they didn't really recognize the company's branding yet. Uh, and I had done my best, you know, personal invitations over the phone, everything, right? Ginned up, I think, a lot of interest, but who knew? Who knew? And and so I, uh, uh, my CEO comes over in the afternoon of that day. He, he lived in a different city. He came over and he goes, yeah, let, you know, let's chat. And then he says, uh, look, when I, my, my first conference like this, when I started out, five people showed up. And I'm like, dude, you know, this is no way to encourage me. Oh, kind of boost your confidence? What I had done, and this is, this is uh, you know, this is the point where I thought I had failed. What I had done was, in desperation, I had made sure that I invited and seeded this event with about 15 of my friends to, oh. to at least have some level of uh, thing. And so, you know, it, it was a it was really a nerve-wracking time. My friends obviously showed up. There were free drinks. So they're like the first through the door. And my CEO looks at me and goes, you know, I know who those guys are. I know they're not our customers. Uh, but he smiled. And, and I was like, okay, this is a failure. But at the end, we had an overwhelming response. We had all of our customers show up, plus folks that were you know in the uh, you know in the kind of the prospect kind of universe uh and so it was a you know it was a great success but that process to get there i thought i had failed completely especially when my boss said you know my, my first one had five people i'm like okay i'm i'm done he was I'm trying to make you feel five. better just in case yeah just in case yeah. it bombed you wanted to make sure you felt yeah yeah like, it's like a really risk fine. management strategy i had <laughs> Yeah, so, so good. And glad it went well. But I think we've all had those moments where we're taking a risk. We don't know if it's going to pay off. And you may not know for a while. Yeah. And you're just waiting to see. And uh, just keeping your fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great story. So starting to starting to wrap this up, Vinay, what are three success tips that you'd offer for every leader? Um, you know, I think uh, uh, I, I would say, as I said, you know, uh, own the outcomes, not the tasks. That is something that I think everyone should keep in mind. Uh, I would also say uh, one of the things that come to a conclusion now, especially as the the world moves to where it, it is moving, you know, maybe it's AI fuel, maybe it's AI driven, etc. I think uh, a sharp focus on Learning your craft, specializing is more important than being a generalist. Uh, and mm. I know I probably fall outside the bounds of conventional thinking there because there's a lot of uh, pressure on kids as they come out and even mid-career folks to kind of be generalists, know a little bit of everything and, and proceed that way. I don't know whether that's a surefire path uh, for impact at work as well as fulfilling yourself. I think expertise in craft and then standing on a platform of uh, achievement there actually is a better path to impact and fulfillment, however you define it, right? Whether there are financial success metrics, whether there are uh, leadership metrics that you put for yourself, I think deep specialization is called for, especially as a lot of the commoditization of work could be done by AI uh, eventually. Why would we want to be generalists? So that's something that, you know, I think uh, my thinking has evolved in that as well. So what's your, so, so I, I appreciate that. I think it's also thinking about like to what trade schools offer, 
and how practical plumbing, electrical, car mechanic, you know, the, these sorts of really the things that we really need and how few there are people in those roles. But kind of going back to that, what's your advice for people who are like, well, you know, I've had this great high school experience. I've taken all the courses. I don't really know what I want to specialize in. What would you say to them, is it, you know, in that, at that part of their career where they're trying to figure it out? Yeah, you know, uh, and, and that's natural, right? And and I think, well, there are a couple of things, right? If you have the luxury of uh, going to college and then going to graduate school, you know, that is one path where you may have some more luxury and time to, quote unquote, figure out what you like, mm-hmm. what kind of expertise you want to build, etc. But not everyone has that luxury. And, and if you're looking at, uh, you know, high school, going to trade school versus high school, college, and then and, and then out, I would say focus on getting some kind of a job. And uh, it doesn't matter that uh, you may not land there uh, at the end of the career i think i mean the more the more we we see how early career folks are are finding themselves i think it takes two to three jobs to figure it out and i think that's okay i don't know whether we should put pressure on somebody to build a career from day one to 40 years i don't think that that happens anymore i think it is okay to kind of dip your toe and say yeah i didn't like it but i gave it a shot but i think it's important to give it a shot and when you're in yeah. it be in it and, I can and, see um, that. It's really, for, from what I'm taking away on that, is it's a mindset of I'm going in to identify a skill that I can really specialize in that's going to generate value for myself, for my company, for the world. But I don't have to have it figured out immediately. But to be yeah. on that journey of intention versus, hey, I'm going to stay a generalist my my entire career, which there can be some temptation to do that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a really powerful thing. I think uh, you know the first five, maybe even ten years uh, of your career, they are all about finding your domain. Meaning, you know, what area of life slash business do you want to actually work in, uh, and then becoming an expert. So it's all about learning. I don't think you know a, a, a sharp focus on again aspiring to be titles, roles, levels helps at all in the early part of the career. I think it's all about learning and it's all about then figuring out, okay, is this something uh, mm-hmm. I like? Now, the, the there is another side of that that uh, as well, uh, Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, it can happen in reverse too. When you really get good at something, even though you may think you're, you never liked it going in, you suddenly become purpose-driven because you're so good at something and you can use that to achieve whatever you want. So I, yes. I, I, you know, I would not look past the grind and the grunting, right? Sometimes beauty comes out of that after a period of time. And, and I think the challenge is, can you last that period of time? And can you be patient? Because That's so good. That's so good. I, it reminds me of a quick story. And I never had a time here, but early in my career, I was an industrial engineer. And I fell into this and I was really getting burned out on it. I was crunching numbers all the time, spreadsheets, time studies, all this stuff, plant layouts. Mm. And then essentially we had to teach, uh, uh, we, we were going to outsource part of our work and everyone was freaking out. 
And they went to the first couple of engineers that were ahead of me and asked them to teach what we were doing to them so they could take it over. And the project wasn't going well. Mm. And they, I was, I was like the, they, they'd gone to the A engineer, didn't work. They went to the B and finally they came to Fanning, the, the C player and said, Hey, Ben, just give it a shot. And I loved it. It turned out I didn't really like doing the work, but I really enjoyed teaching that to other people. And then my career started to take a completely different trajectory from that point. And I still didn't find it exactly, but the teaching element gave me that, that charge of uh, passion and interest. And I was like, man, so it wasn't, it was the teaching of the work I didn't like doing versus doing the work. Oh, anyway. All right. That's a great story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought it tied in pretty well there today, but thanks for coming on. What a fun interview today. So many great messages. Uh, what's your parting thought for the listeners today? Uh, you know, I think uh, parting thought, uh, I think, again, you know, it, it follows the theme of this uh, discussion. I think, you know, if you're trying to find fulfillment at work, create impact at work, you know, focus on the excellence in small things. I think it will get you to where you uh, need to go. Focus on the doing versus the being. Uh, that's been my philosophy. Thanks, Vinay. Great time today, sir. Thanks, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.